0: Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to what I am horrified to report is the cold, harsh light of 2024. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are...
1: Tori, they, them. Della, she, her. I didn't agree to this advancing of the years thing. I I, want to talk to the manager.
2: That's fair. (laughs) And we're actually recording in 2024. See, that's the mindfuck for me.
1: Yeah. Because normally we do like a week before or something (laughs) or a month like sometimes
2: we have episodes on deck for you know at least a month and since our hiatus uh we're actually recording in 2024 so i'm not only adjusting to this coming out in 2024 i'm adjusting to it actually being
1: 2024 yeah i love how our our version of a hiatus is missing two episodes <laughs> pretty That's much
0: the, the first time we have <laughs> i mean you've always made yeah. sure that like even when i've been like I, i'm just not doing it for a little while you two have like come together and like talked about some animation yeah. or whatever and filled in those gaps so tried, we were
1: trying to do something. that this time but i got covid at the wrong time and, mm-hmm. and surgery stuff and yeah
2: I mean, it was yeah oh yeah and my semester said, we've, been, we've been we we said all this in our hiatus right. message. <laughs> although you shouldn't listen to that because i
1: Forgot to set my microphone beforehand. It's been a while since I've done solo recordings on my computer, so I sound terrible on that. Oh, yeah, I think you sound. Uh, I hate
0: to break it to you, but uh, right now, also, Della, yeah, you also sound terrible.
1: <gasps>
2: I believe you, and I'm shocked. <laughs> Wow, the motto. The motto is just getting colder and harsher That's as the it. years progress. I, I look, it's twenty
0: twenty four. We got to up our
2: cold and harsh.
1: That's I'm using my uh, okay. power to declare another hiatus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, look, <laughs> the thing is, mm-hmm. like you could stop this stone cold because you think I'm going to learn how to edit things. I am not.
3: Mm,
1: no. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's all on you. You bear this heavy burden that you have to metaphysically drag with you.
1: I mean, most of it's automated at this point. But...
0: <laughs> well, Frodo should have just done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Have a robot
2: sidekick. Give it the ring. In a, in this fanfic... <laughs> would they still make out? <laughs> Maybe. That wasn't what I was going to say. Oh,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I, I guess we've talked about our background with The Lord of the Rings before, so we might be able to introduce what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. We are discussing the Last Ringbearer, which is, of course, the Hollywood adaptation of Avatar: The Last Ringbearer. Um, How long have you been holding on to that one, I? <laughs> Well, I already used my, and then everything changed when Mordor attacked. Joke in like the
1: in the text thread that only we saw, so you could have recycled for the podcast. That's true. That's true. I've done that plenty of times.
2: <laughs> I like workshop stuff on YouTube and see if it works. <laughs> I mean, look. So basically, you're building on a joke that only the three of
0: us know <laughs> well look it's the last ring ringberry it's either going to be avatar jokes or the last
2: samurai jokes
0: mm. and you know the last samurai doesn't have cultural currency anymore no so it's all got to be avatar jokes
2: yeah yeah that's fair and i don't, don't really that's... care do to... well though tom cruise could be a hobbit never mind moving on let's move on from that i don't
0: <laughs> tom cruise could be an aragorn you know like you know back then
1: but like the, the, that text thread had the side uh, effect of us trying to decide what kind of bender Sauron was. Right.
0: And I, I maintain Earthbender, right. metal bending. Metal bending. Because it's, it's all got to be about making
2: the rings. The forging of the rings yeah. is like the, the thing. The fires the of thing. Mount Doom. Yeah. I, like. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there are fires involved. No, but. That's what I mean is that the fires of Mount Doom are the forge. We already talked about this. Like, <laughs> and I believe I said the same thing. But if
1: it's the fires of Mount Doom, then doesn't that make him a lava bender?
2: I oh, mean, is that is, where is that we thing? landed before?
1: I can't
0: remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not wrong in that the point of a metal bender is that you don't need the fire to bend the metal.
1: Yeah, you bend yourself or whatever. Right. You bend yourself. Well, <laughs> no, I'm I'm thinking about the spoon.
0: <laughs> but metal bender also like jives with me with the movie like portrayal of like this dude is just encased in like spiky metal.
1: Yeah. Mm hmm. He, he would do better.
3: <laughs> metal better wearing that armor.
1: But yeah, he you did get like stabbed in the face and like the whole thing like collapsed inside. That right. reminded me of like metal bender imagery.
0: Oh no, I mean look, you can't put on that, that armor without metal bending. Like it doesn't have any kind of like joints or seams or latches. It's yeah. just all held together by force of will.
1: Wait, wait. We don't know too much about like Siren as a creature. Is that armor? <laughs> is it
0: just made of metal, you're saying?
1: I mean <laughs> Or is it
0: even metal. All I remember yeah. about Sauron as a creature is that maybe he was a werewolf at one point, like some kind of.
2: Because you know he's he's a like spirit, right?
1: No, I, I read this similarly, and he was a shapeshifter at
2: first. Okay. Yeah, I just think he's a giant eye made of fire, <laughs> probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it, yeah, I'm just trying to invoke that one horror moment where you're looking at Pokemon and realize, hey, that's oh. not close. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, the last, <laughs> okay. the last ring mirror. <laughs> Is not a big budget Hollywood movie, but it is published fan fiction, mm-hmm. very published, published in like nine languages, mm-hmm. but not English. Um, it's originally a Russian novel, uh, published 1999 by the Russian paleontologist Kirill Eskov, paleontologist, and like th- there's a there's a you know blessed-by-the-author translation for free online into English, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't officially been published in English, apparently because of fear of the Tolkien Estate, who I guess have no power in France or Spain, Mm -hmm. because it's been published in French and Spanish. Like, I guess the Tolkien Estate just loses all its power when it crosses the English border. I don't quite get it. Like... Shouldn't they be, like, the most powerful in Europe? I mean, it's like, what... like you can't step into estonia or poland like there's polish releases i i don't quite understand the legal issues here it might just be like the tolkien estate doesn't bother
1: if it's not in English. it might be like willingness or ability to persecute or like the amount you mean i, mean, like I, mean, I prosecute. guess perse- probably i probably <laughs> maybe both or persecute, just like the the ability or like the willingness of a local uh Government to uh, work with them or something.
0: Yeah, but I, mm. I mean, I thought France and England were fairly like well familiar with each other. Uh, I mean, up until England yeah, decided to be, like we're out Brexit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But but
2: no, yeah, oh, yeah th- this England is... and France famously get along well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, point. <laughs> okay, okay. This is this is fair though, um, and it's also curious because this. Apparently is quite popular. Apparently it is
0: very well known among Russian Vulcan fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well enough known that it's been translated into a bunch of languages and published, right? Like, I mean,
2: yeah, but that's Russians. You know, they have shrines to Gadget. <laughs> so they have good taste. What, <laughs> right. What Rescue Rangers fan fiction has been officially published? That's the question. Well, you know, the comic we read that was translated into Russian. Never mind. Yeah. Um... <laughs> This was a, you know, throwback to a previous episode from like three years ago. Anyway, moving on. Um. So anyway, the point is,
0: it's fairly well known. I've been wanting to do it for a while, but it's a, it's a whole ass novel. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, looking for an opportunity or whatever. And this hiatus, I was like, look, let's just read some of it and talk about it.
1: Yeah, we fully took advantage of the full hiatus. No, I read most of it last week.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too.
2: I read most of it the day before yesterday.
0: <laughs> but Tori and I at least got through like part one, which mm-hmm. is a, a fairly good yes. stopping point. And you at least got in enough to have some questions. Yes. <laughs>
1: I, I got
2: 7% in according to my e-reader. but And it is very respectfully broken up into four sections of relatively equal length, right. which made my reading relatively easy. So yeah, Amato and I got a little bit past the conclusion of part one of four. So should we just kind of go into it? Let's go into it. I, Initially, I was confused
1: because of the the language of it. It had like um, military talk, and they talked about like the field manual. Mm-hmm. I was like, I had forgotten like the premise of the story. I was, I, mean, I was if like,
0: you'd known the premise of the story. I didn't tell you.
1: <laughs> well, I I think I like you did, or I knew, or something at, at one point, but it had been too long since we talked about it. So I was like, I had a moment where like, wait, is this modern day Tolkien? Because they were talking like modern military right. terms. Well, I want to get to that. <laughs> that use of language
0: later yeah but just in terms of the premise of the story it's a sequel to the lord of the rings in a very very broad it's... sense because the stuff that happened in the lord of the rings in the background of this story is not at all what happened in the lord of the well, rings in it's the not original. a sequel it's a it retelling though it happens after return of the
1: king but it no, does, it doesn't, though. But right? It also includes an alternative history of The Lord of the Rings.
0: It does retell a lot of the military action at the end of Return of
1: well, the King. Also, cla- how the, uh, the the nations and species and stuff interact and who they are and w- what happens. And, okay, this is true. Yeah.
0: It, it, it is partially, most of it takes place after what would have happened in The Return of the King. But the first part of it kind of... Uh, overlaps with the end of okay. Return of the King
1: because they they do like create Mordor into more of a culture than the art right. books. Which oh yeah, well not, not hard a retelling or, a, <laughs> or or alternate history. It's
0: very alternate history. It's like alternate history Lord of the Rings picking yeah. up mostly from towards the end of Return of the King, or I, I guess it's Return of the King in general actually.
2: Yeah, I think in the part that we read the the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Well, we we read the first third. You and I, Amato. But like, especially in the first quarter of the book, part one of four, a lot of it is a reflection on events happening kind of happening flashback. simultaneously because I think there's a very strong reason for this. The author really wants to reframe events <laughs> yeah. in a specific context, which right. is. Yeah.
1: In, in the in the first part that I've, I've, I've been reading, it seemed like they were just going through. Yeah, yeah, the major military movements and the history of Middle-earth and recontextualizing them uh, to include this Mordorian uh, civilization.
0: Yes, but that is mostly framed in kind of a flashback after an initial scene where we meet who's going to be our main characters.
1: Guess, yeah, that was my question. They they initially showed a, a couple of characters and then did this like whole long... Kind of Tolkien-esque, actually, where they just—or not Tolkien-esque necessarily, but like lame is—or like I was thinking lame is. I was thinking like (laughs) they just go back and do this whole history lesson. It's very lame is. And I was a little bit confused because I thought, okay, the premise is just they're just retelling the Lord of the Rings from this perspective. But then I saw it was like part one of like four, and like what the fuck is the other?
0: They get (laughs) done with that and they get back to our main characters.
1: Okay, I was going to ask if I skip it, but you can't skip it. So our main
3: characters...
1: You gotta know. Yeah, I know. know, but it kind of slogs a bit. It's a cut scene that you can't skip. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much you press A. Oh, yeah. I, I think for my intention span, it's just like, I already know what happens. And
2: like so I kind of just want to keep going. Legit, but the reframing here is very important. It is. Right. Yeah. Um, so yes, Amado. We've got our main character.
0: His name's Haladin. He is a, you know, former kind of academic doctor. Who then became a field doctor for the Mordorian army? This is after they already lost the war, and he is kind. He's kind of been taken under the wing of a field. um, What what do you call him? Like a he's a ranger type, but he's like a field captain. You know, scout
2: person. Scout. I mean ranger. Yeah, Yeah, that's what that word is. (laughs) Right. Named Zerlag. Yeah, mostly they refer to him as a scout.
1: Well, I I think before that we should mention the cultural differences in the book.
2: Well, I think now we need to. Yes, because this
0: incarnation of middle earth there's a actually there's a fair bit that the author keeps exactly the same about the geopolitics Mm -hmm. but in terms of like the cultures and such for one thing everyone's a human except for the elves who are not human elves are elves they're from they're from like arda they're from like the the spirit realm originally or whatever because like the
1: magic stuff still kind of exists it does right
0: like the gods still exist all that kind of thing but like orcs, they're humans. Trolls, they're humans. Mm-hmm. Halflings, they're humans. Humans, they're humans. Everyone's a human. It's just it's Orbs. just uh dwarves apparently don't exist, which is weird. They mentioned dwarves a few times. It's just like, oh, like they say these people exist, but they kinda don't.
2: No, they I okay. I no, I do I do think dwarves exist, but yeah. Um there are specific differentiations between like racial yeah well, they're, qualities they are not is what they yeah are. yeah they're exactly yes. Yes.
1: There's, there's some like phenotypes and stuff that like are present
2: yeah right but like for
0: the, instance trolls, yeah they, like they're kind of burly they live in the hills they're humans mm-hmm. you yes. know um orcs is a derogatory shortening of like the actual name of their like... or
2: or Q
1: Or-quean, yeah. yeah yeah like uh so they're just kind of recontextualizing the uh story of Lord of the Rings as like if it was Well, something that they mention a lot is uh, uh, history written by the victors. So they're saying like the idea is that Lord of the Rings was written by these people who wanted to recontextualize themselves as the good guys and the other people as uh, uh, irredeemable bad guys. Right. And relate it to like the real world and then like translate that back where it's like, oh, we're just different groups of people and it's just, uh, you know, racism and weird stuff that keeps us apart.
2: Yeah, sort of. I think the main thrust of the story, as I understand it, reading the first third, is that, yeah, they're, they're not trying to be too... Mostly they're painting a lot of the people we think of as heroes as assholes. Oh, yeah. Is what's going on. Yeah. and Though I appreciate that Faramir and Erwin are still cool folks. Yes. <laughs> Specifically. Everybody else, Specifically. total asshole. Mm-hmm. But uh, to be fair, by the point that Amato and I read to you, the most of the company is not discussed. Uh we see, we yeah, we yeah, uh, of the nine, we see Aragorn, we, we, see, we see Gandalf. Yes, that's it. That's it. And, and Boromir's Boromir's, dead by the time. Yeah, you he's know, talked about, right? But he doesn't show.
0: Up, so yeah, the halflings probably don't exist.
3: Yeah,
1: well, a, a lot of part of the story is like besides making Mordor a natural civilization is that they um kind of like de uh, legendify a, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff where it's like. Um, Sauron's not a giant dude with an eye. He's Sauron, the seventh regent of, of this kingdom. He's not
0: even a particularly strong ruler as things go, yeah. right? Uh,
1: yeah. Denethor isn't the uh, warden of a city waiting for their ancient king to return. He is just the king leader of of the place.
0: And, and here's one thing I really like about this recontextualization is specifically the Denethor thing <laughs> where you're like, in the books, Denethor is like, You know, it's real sketchy that after, like, you know, 20 generations, someone's just showing up claiming to be the descendant of our ancient king with a sword that's no one ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And this author's like, yeah, that's hella sketchy. Yeah,
1: that's weird. (laughs) Shouldn't they be able to have, like, a constant, you know, governmental structure since then? But
2: Right. uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's part of the reframing that happens a little, little bit later than where we're at that makes Aragorn seem like such an asshole. Because he comes in, like, this is my birthright. I'm the descendant of Isildur. And Faramir, it, at the time, is just like, uh, <laughs> he might as well have said he was the descendant of. I don't remember what he said, but uh, I, I think he says he was, of, um,
0: of like the high god, like you, you do what? Yeah. Yes, but might as well say you're the descendant of.
2: What? What? What's? Eru, oh Eru, gosh, Eru, I'm not gonna remember Eru. either. We are not the most. We are, <laughs> we are enough. We understand enough of Tolkien, but we are not the <laughs> hyper nerds that you know. The last time I read the Silmarillion, I was, like, 15, so...
0: And, you know, it's very convenient that Denethor turned out to be crazy and killed himself, right? Like, that very much opens up the way for, like, Aragorn to, like, you know, kind of come in and take over.
1: I mean, there's so much of that kind of, like, language in the book about (laughs) stuff happening. It's like, oh, it's so weird that uh, Faramir was uh, taken out by a poison arrow. How terrible those orcs are. What? Orcs don't use arrows? Uh, Elves use poison arrows?
0: That's, uh, I mean, you know... It's not interesting. (laughs)
1: We need to to wait a week to... uh, To make sure they recover, so why don't you just move your armies back for a sec?
0: Exactly, it's it's some of that which is actually very satisfying in some of those parts. But here's here's the framing: Mm -hmm. we we see the White Council real closely, and like the author has picked up on the anti-industrialization message in the original Lord of the Rings. Not hard to pick up on that message, right? Yeah. But he's reframing it as like the White Council, which is the five wizards, are like, I mean, mostly Gandalf is like, look, we need to take out Mordor, which is a civilization that is pushing technology and heading towards an industrial revolution
1: and then this isn't just i guess they use magic and they define that more right
0: they, they like they, they see they have they have the mirror which in the original books is the mirror of galadriel mm-hmm. which is a tool for seeing the future and he's like look it's pretty certain that if if we don't do something now they're going to be yeah they're going to pass the point of no return on technology
1: yeah mm-hmm. the, the, they're Beginning and about to finish their industrial revolution while everybody else is still uh, agrarian. If anybody who's been an overachiever in a civilization knows, that means you can just steamroll everybody. That's
0: right. And the dissenting voice in the council is, of course, Saruman, Mm -hmm. you know, the industrialist uh, traitor to the council in the original books.
1: (laughs) I also want to mention that like, uh, part of the fear and the paranoia is that they continue the the Tolkien theme of... um, there's a specific word for it, but it's like everything was perfect and then things only get worse. Right. And then there's that, that's what
0: Gandalf is saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that's where it comes from. Right. Or he's saying, Oh, our magic is cannot get any better than this. It's always going to get worse. So we have to act soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you keyed in on that same thing because, like, when, when Saruman's
0: making the opposing argument, he's saying, like, look, you fear this and you're jealous of this because our knowledge of magic comes from the gods. Mm-hmm. And like what we can do is just lore from like your Iru- Ilu- little or like whoever and like maybe we'll forget some of it over time it like you said it's going to get weaker yeah. whereas they're with their progress in technology eventually they're going to be able to discover how to do things that the gods did not intend.
1: Well yeah it's not maybe it's going to get weaker the philosophy is it it will, it will
0: because because it's Tolkien, right? Yeah. Um and it, but Sar- 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 Saruman's like well look for one thing that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I mean yeah bad things are going to happen but like You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing completely. And also, his other argument is, "What are you gonna do? Kill them all?" And Gandalf's like, "Yep, yes, yep."
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh, Saruman's other point was like, "We are using our magic to control them all and all the civilizations and drive things as they are now, but we're going to not have that at some point. So they have Mm -hmm. to learn to take care of themselves
2: at some point." Right. When, When do we let go? Well, and something that becomes very clear later on in the narrative is that. There is this kind of dichotomous thing, hence the conflict happening between the push towards science, knowledge, and technology, essentially, and, um, yeah, babying people with magic, as you mentioned, Della. And it's like,
1: and they also kind of propose, like, maybe it's a good thing to have more technology out there, Mm -hmm. or, like, that these, maybe this civilization could help steward the other people, or, like, you don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, but Gandalf is very, very, you know, firm on on like, look, you've seen what's going to happen. We need to stop it, like in the mirror. The blue wizards are like, yes, Armon, why do you have to be such a downer? And Radagast is not, you know, useful oh as gosh. usual. He's like, yeah. um, well, I mean, I don't How about don't we know all just mean, like, uh, okay, yeah. He's like, well, well, <laughs> well look, if three of the other guys think it's a good idea.
2: This was a, this was a great part though, because this is mostly, it's third person omniscient, but it's like mostly in Saruman's perspective. Right. And you just see Gandalf being like, like, Saruman thinking about how Gandalf just, like, is lording his, (laughs) like, he's like, oh, I can't believe how stupid Gandalf is, but also he's super powerful and he's got everyone's ear and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, turns to Radagast, like, Maybe Radagast will have my back. It's, it's weird. I don't know. He mostly hangs out with squirrels, but I think he's a pretty <laughs> good dude. It's
0: like it's weirdly in character, frankly, for Saruman to be like, "God damn it, Gandalf, stop being so holier than thou," and for Radagast <laughs> yes. to like not be able to like like stand up to yeah. the stronger personalities.
1: Because like this council runs more like a, like a governmental body, and like Saruman's the, the head of it. And the point of like even Radagast not backing. Not not even like supporting other people and not backing uh Saruman up was that he had zero al- allies, which meant he had no ability to affect anything in the council right. whatsoever. Yeah. So he just uh He just pieces out. You know, Tony Blair resigns, <laughs> he loses and goes uh, and does his own thing.
2: Like Saruman is like so disappointed. He's like, I kind of knew it, but also I just really wish somebody backed me up for once <laughs> in my dang life. You know, you kind of feel bad for him, but it is kind of this weird liminal space where, at least for me. I was still trying to wrap my head around the kind of shift in, uh, in, and I think the, the text even, you know, at least this version we have of it in translation, identifies like something that points to the idea that like Saruman's not evil, obviously. Like that's obvious, but there's even like a point, I think, in that scene where the text, like, sort of tongue-in-cheek points to it. It's like, everybody's looking at me like I'm the evil one here yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> and and, in this and pre- that's the point where you just go, yeah, okay, I get I get what they're going
1: for. Yeah, and on this point, we're on Saruman's side because Gandalf's side is, um, well, they describe it. They, they can't, like, partially destroy the civilization. They have to completely destroy the civilization. So Saruman's like, how about not genocide? Like, <laughs> <"Pff>, shut up.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like they make it, yeah, they make it very transparent that yeah. Saruman's point is correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, look, with the, tra- I don't know if this is in the original Russian, but at least in the translation, Tolkien was always like, guys, it's not World War II. Stop making it World War II. But the phrase final solution to the Mordor problem is mm. used multiple times.
1: Yeah, explicitly. Yeah.
0: And so, like, he wants you to think of the, of the Holocaust. He does
1: take on, like, more of an ethnic cleansing. Absolutely. Yeah. Tone. Which, like, can, can we talk about the original? Lord of the Rings a little I bit. guess. Because, like, he was trying to write a war story, but he didn't want to spend time making the um, enemy... Relatable. Relatable, basically. Yeah. He just wanted it to be okay to just kind of, like, slaughter thousands of them. Which, like, I understand if you're telling the story and everything, and it's also kind of based off, like, uh, uh, myths. And right. Myths where there's just yeah. the evil. Yeah, I, I think or- Orc is taken from Beowulf or something, like a poem. The term for like half devils or something, Mm. and the interesting thing about that was because like the intent was just to write a story to go around these these languages and and like the retelling of the ring story, but like the cultural impact of that wasn't exactly unnoticed. There's been a lot of things in Dungeons and Dragons recently. Oh yeah, where there are a lot of discussions are like, is like the system of Dungeons and Dragons like racist? Because you have, like, evil races, evil species. And there is, like, a history of... Because, like, Dungeons & Dragons started, what, in, like, the 70s or something? Yeah, yep. Yeah, not exactly. People were being the most culturally sensitive Oh no. <laughs> back then. But they, they took the idea of, oh, there's this evil race. And it's, like, fun to, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to triumph over them and not feel guilty about it. And, you know, how, oh, these are the good races. And then they kind of like extrapolate that to different ideas. It's like, oh, you have you have elves that are fun to play, but how about we have evil elves? And they literally put them in blackface, you know? Mm-hmm. And oh no, there's a lot yeah. of
0: racism yeah. embedded deeply in Dungeons and Dragons. I know a lot of people have, you know, tried to deal with that in multiple ways. Yeah. And
1: and there's a lot uh, of um uh recently there's been a lot of like we textualize and rediscussions about it. And uh I've seen something else kind of like this where uh there's the I'm going to go on a completely different tangent. Or right? <laughs> there's a, a an actual play podcast like Friends at the Table, where they do a lot of discussions about like um, intersectionality and like racism and stuff. And they like do their own fantasy world, but they have it where like their version of the orcs are a wandering scholars, where they mm-hmm. they maintain a library and do that. And I've seen a lot of that where, where they're trying to people are trying to like, expand on the orcs and make them like their own civilization and not having them be apparently a bad guy. And that's kind of what the story uh, re- reminds me of because they do make them engineers and uh, scientists. And that's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and that's what is actually super neat about this story. And just because you reminded me of this a little bit, Della, is that the movies are the visuals that stick in my mind a yeah. lot now since they came out when we were like young teens. I mean, we, we, um, we got a Legolas poster in the room here. <laughs> I know, <we laughs> do. staring at me right now. He's I, like, I, I don't know. That's why more are you being all the... chummy with these orcs?
1: Yeah, it, it's the it's the Two Towers Legolas poster from yeah, and, and
2: the armor. <laughs> so if you're wondering, <laughs> honestly though, like he he looks more like he's staring deep into your soul than anything, but a little bit, yeah, like in a sexy way. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, that, that's how elves do everything, <laughs> right? Like he's holding a sword, but it's like, is it a sword? <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, if you think about the <laughs> the imagery in the movies, so the orcs use body paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are dark
1: skinned. And in the movies, they're literally born from like slime pits. They're not even like people. Well, that's you know, th-
0: yes, th- that, that's that or but,
1: Kai and stuff. Yeah, like th-
0: that's one of the ways that people have I tried to. Different you know, deal with this sort of like evil races issue is like, okay, let's make them like more inhuman, make them like less like just folks with another culture. Yeah. And that's one direction one can go. But then, yeah, I I feel like the problem with Tolkien is that then he accidentally like, you know, showed you the orcs talking with each other a lot. It's like, frankly, some of them are too relatable. It's like, I mean, not not that they're relatable, good people, just like these are people who have goals and wants and needs and motivations and like they're too like they're not like a mindless beast or anything like that. They're like folks.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And you see them chanting together. And again, the use the use of body paint like the images of the hands they put mm-hmm. on their chest like the darkness of the skin of the Urkai especially I think um and the communal chanting like are all things that are just really common components of how white people yeah, more tribal cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of sucky. And I think what you're pointing to, Amato, is that, like, the idea that, yeah, we're trying to make this not appear like an allegory that relates specifically to human mm-hmm. ethnic groups. But it's you can't do that. You just, like, literally can't.
1: Yeah, there's still people in suits, and the people designing the costumes still culturally have the you know the same cultural awareness of the people that made like the weird racial stereotypes before so like they try to like exaggerate different facial features oops that's a racist caricature from from the yeah. past.
0: <laughs> well i want to say um everybody at the high level who stands to profit from this war is an asshole yes but like i do think during the retelling of the war it does a decent job of showing that, like, it's it's shitty for everybody who's forced into this war. <laughs> like, I remember at one point, like, some Gondorian soldier, like, it being like who did not understand why they had to risk their lives to install this guy Aragorn on the throne of Gondor. <laughs> like, I I mean that kind of thing, right? Yeah.
1: So the, the part I write up to is just a lot of um, retelling the the first war and recontextualizing and um, like. Uh, also more humanizing the M- Mordorian people and talking about how they have lots of honor and you know tactics and stuff like that
2: yeah and different cultures yeah. and are are rapidly becoming main character Haladin or H- Haladin uh probably Haladin isn't it Haladin, Yeah mm-hmm. my e reader want to say Haladin but I like Haladin sounds more Tolkienian I guess Haladin's our main character
0: again. He's a a doctor who ended up as like a wartime field medic because he wanted to volunteer. Um, he's got more
2: importantly a research scientist. He was a research scientist, a well, scientist yeah. yeah. Um, I he's, learned so
0: much about ir- irrigation. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a fiance back in Mordor, but like we never see her on um, on screen. Like she's do, doing her own stuff, and at least not as far as we've read. And and, 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 he, and again, he meets up with this um, this Captain Stur- Zirig. And very soon, the third member of like the adventuring party ends up with them. Like once we get back to them, very soon, where they kind of save um, this Gondorian noble from the army, who basically tried to stand up against war crimes and was therefore like left for dead. Yeah. Um. And he's like a friend of Farmir from childhood. He's highly educated. I his name I forget at the moment.
1: More, more something with an M. So that, yeah, this is beyond um where I read. Does this take Place after the the war yes it's
0: all after the war okay so this is like you know scattered remnants of the mordorian army is, trying to like meet back up with resistance pockets is
1: saron still there or did saron's dead is that because they threw a ring into a volcano or? no
2: it's because he he got stabbed yeah the, apparently <laughs> the the rings of power kind of a myth the, the, yeah i mean we'll
1: be, i mean it seemed like that was the direction this was going but the book is also called The Last Ringbearer, so I'm not sure what the importance is. I'll get to that. Very amusingly, we get we get a second info
0: dump towards the end of the first part mm-hmm. from a Nazgul. Okay? Well, so a Nazgul meets up with, like, Haladin and tells him a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And one of the things is like, what about the Rings of Power? And he's like, oh, God, don't bring up the freaking Ring of Power. <laughs> like, it's it was an intelligence operation to try to sow dissent among the Western allies uh-huh. where they're like, oh, there's this ring we really want. And then they, like, you know, seeded it. And, like... Um, we're we're hoping that people would fight over it. At one point he talks about Boromir. It's like really it all hinged on Boromir. That guy was ready to like kill his mother for the Ring of Power.
2: <laughs> yep. So it was just like a psyops? That's it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> no, it's great. And and I think like is something something stands out in this, like in this narrative. It it is the chapter in which Paladin talks to the Nazgul because all it is is like they happen he happens upon like Nazgul comes to him and he's like oh my god you're real Uh, are you really one of them he's like yes and he's like is this a real form and he's like yeah my real form is this creepy shadow figure (laughs) and he's like is magic real yeah magic's real but like also it's kind of complicated and then it's just it's straight info info dump dump. Yeah, the only thing you know, it doesn't feel un to
0: have a big info dump from a magic user at some point. What does feel unTolkien is that none of it is related in the form
2: of song or poetry.
1: And is it, if it's informative, that's also un esque <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's very informative. Yeah. Um, and basically the Nazgul, uh, I forget their name. I forget too. Yeah.
0: Uh, Nazgul are a rotating position where basically it's like volunteers yeah. of like, um, basically illustrious people in the Mordorian civilization who volunteer to become magic users, take up the mantle of the Nazgul and protect the civilization from the magic users who hate them like the White Council outside. But they don't last forever. Like it wears them down. They die eventually and they have to pass on their, you know, power, their, their position to somebody else.
1: On lore, and, yeah.
0: And in yeah. fact, the ring that is being born in this is the ring of the Nazgul because they've got nine rings because, you know, they got, it's it's the nine, right? Yeah. Uh, which is just a mark of their status. And he gives one to Haladin at the end of part one saying like, look, show this to people and they'll know like people who are in the know will know that like you're on a Nazgul mission. Don't worry, it's not magic anymore. Like I'm skipping <laughs> the magic from it. But like, it's like the symbol of the mission that he's going on.
1: Yeah, I'm a little confused because um, when we talk about the first part is like retelling of the the battles in Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. And I, I've read through the one where they talked about the battle of uh, Minas Tirith, mm-hmm. where uh, Aragorn shows up with the undead army. Yes, I, I love what they do with that. By the way, where it's just a whole bunch of creepy zombies and so. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, like, they talk about the one of the generals, I think, mm-hmm. uh, of the Mordorian army, like Commander South, and Aragorn does like a like plays on his honor to draw him into a one-on-one duel, and then stabs him from behind.
0: That's right, and, but, and it's and framed so, as that having been the Witch King.
1: Exactly. So that's why I was a little a bit confused about whether the Nazgul were more um, invented narrative in this story or thing. Well,
0: since Aragorn is like, we'll make up a better story about how you died later. I guess he's gonna say like, oh yeah, that was one of the fearsome like Nazgul from yeah. the Mordorian like, civilization. It
1: doesn't even have to be I who killed you. It could be like a woman or something. So maybe a kid, right?
2: Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Aragorn's an asshole. I know.
2: In this, yeah, yeah, such an asshole. Like, that's one of the biggest things that, and and maybe something that people might take umbrance with in this. Personally, I'm willing to adapt to a new narrative, but like Aragorn's a fucking asshole. Well, I think he's like you're... extremely, and like to a point where you're just like, this is ridiculous, kind of like every time he, he doesn't talk much, you don't see him that much. Uh, he talks to Thermere for a while, like, yeah, <laughs> but like in the sheer portion of what we've read, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was like one scene, one chapter maybe, and then that other, everything he says is so dickish Well, yeah, I, I... um. I do feel like if you've gotten to that point, you've
1: stomached the um, uh, Hitler Gandalf. So. That's
0: right. Oh, exactly. okay. Yeah, same thing. Well, here's what I like um, about about both Gandalf and Aragorn, <laughs> is that they don't think they're the bad guys. And so, like, there's a scene with Aragorn, who is a total asshole, again, where he's talking to Thérimir who he has poisoned, and he's like, look, here's what we can do. We can let you die of poison, or I can treat you, and I'm the only one who knows the elf craft how to treat you. And we can like install you in a duchy or whatever and you can support my claim to the throne. That's going to be better for everybody. Like it's going to be better for me because like I'll have you alive and not some sort of like dead martyr or like person who people can claim to be descended from later. It's going to be better for you because you're not going to die a horrible death.
1: Because he's a prince in this.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's a mm -hmm. prince. And but here's the thing at the end of that scene after Faramir's like yeah okay I agree. Aragorn's like okay and here's one more thing and then he gets really serious and he's like I promise I'm going to rule Gondor as well as I can so you're not going to have any reason to think I could do a better job. And he seems completely serious. It's like Aragorn's A ends justify the means asshole and so is, you know, Gandalf. Yeah. But both of them think that like we are going to do what we need to to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so at least it's not he's not twirling his okay, he twirls his mustache. Aragorn twirls his mustache a little (laughs) bit. But like he's not always twirling his mustache.
2: Except like, no, but it, it, I think, I don't know, I don't know if the way you're phrasing that is, like, quite correct, because especially um, if we're going to that scene where um, Aragorn is talking to Faramir, Faramir is paralyzed, mm-hmm. blinded, poisoned. He's barely, from, we're in Faramir's perspective. He's right. barely able he barely to move make his body. gestures. So he hears this voice, gives him this medicine that allows him to barely maybe move one hand and he has to do all of that gesturing by imagining gripping a sword or, um, you know, there's one who's like two, two gestures for no one for yes. Now, what do I imagine? I imagine gripping a pen and putting it back down. Now I have to make corrections. Jeremy's more of a pen guy than a sword guy. But yeah, that's a thing. That's (laughs) totally a thing. Anyway, cute, lovely descriptions, by the way, in this whole story. But you... Aragorn has a mo- like you, it's all Faramir's perspective. So you hear this tone, the tones of Aragorn's voice, and you assume that Faramir's perspective are perceptive. Wow. So I feel like it's my fault. i infected people. <laughs> <laughs> what with mispronunciation? Yeah. <laughs> it's a possibility, but mm-hmm. it, you know, they probably already had this disease. <laughs> what is, yeah, it, starts fine like you know that aragorn's manipulating him but like at the same time or like not even manipulating but like it starts fine it's like no it's okay i'm gonna take care of you and make sure you live and you're like yeah he's gonna make sure he lives he could just bury him alive and it gets to the point where uh he's aragorn's like expositing and going like I'm w you're wondering why I don't just bury you alive. Well, it's a, for a very practical reason, and that's when you get kind of a mustache twirl because right. he's like, yeah. I could do way worse things than you. There are worse things than death, is yeah. basically what he says to him. Woof. Yeah, he says, yeah, yeah. like, I, I, and Faramir imagines himself just like, I think he phrases it as a drooling vegetable or something like yeah. that, and it's just like, Fuck, yeah, I, guess, yeah. I guess
1: if you are doing a, a coup, having the Support of the legitimate crown prince would help a lot. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, so let, mustache let, twirl does happen. End
0: of story. Let's shift topics also, because we've been kind of informally relating some of this. But I want to talk about how people talk in this story, mm. because it's very oh, odd. odd. It's like, yeah. look, I think the characters are very well done. Their motivations are well done. The descriptions are well done. And like characterization is good. But, you know, the linguistic term register. About mm. the register at which people talk of like more or less formal or like in different circumstances. Everybody in this story, everybody talks at the same register, and it's very weird. And I don't know if that's a translation thing or a like Russian-language thing. It can't be a Russian-language thing. They've got like all levels of formality. I imagine. Yeah. But it's like, um, it's like Gandalf talks at basically the same amount of level of formality as a soldier who talks basically the same as like an elf
2: who talks about, it's weird it is called attention to specifically in the scene with Haladin and the Nazgul the Nazgul the Nazgul, Nazgul talks basically the same yeah. like casual register well no but like Haladin says like I know there's something where he's like why are you talking to me like this shouldn't you be speaking differently and he's like I'm just talking to you in terms I think you'll be more familiar with to make you comfortable <laughs> right, basically yeah. And then you get points where people say, no worries, or something right. like that. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, this is, again, this is a translation from Russian. So, I, I, like, who translated this? I, I've got no problem with
0: saying no worries. It's just odd that Saruman, Aragorn, a field, an educated field doctor, and like a Nazgul all might say no worries in this story.
1: But, like th- The idea of this is kind of like, um, is taking a historical document and doing like a, What actually happened? Right, that's very the idea, like like a historical fiction sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think like that kind of would happen if you're looking at big historical events. People wouldn't talk in grandiose or high register stuff unless they're like in a in a meeting with a superior. Yeah, if they're just day to day talking to to people, getting things done, it would could possibly just be yeah, no worries.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but like that's not. I mean, in my I didn't hear someone say no worries until I was, like, 19 years old. Like, that feels like a very modern thing to say. Yeah, that,
1: well, that, that's but, a translation choice. But. Yeah, but but like Della
0: was saying, like, the military language is also very kind of, like, modern, you know.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what
1: confused me at first. And
0: I've I read other stuff like that. Actually, there's another fanfic I really like called um, The Black Company in Middle Earth, which is also kind of the last battles of lord of the rings from a grunts kind of perspective and it's also very casual language like the black company novels very casual military uh, i mean i not the military is always casual but it's like that kind of stuff um uh, the, you know apropos of nothing that story is one where it's like adding more details to tolkien's world rather than like
2: changing the details of tolkien's yeah. world mm-hmm. but it's, anyway just reminds me of that yeah and, and i i think yeah the point is, is that. If this is a trans and I, again, I don't know when and who translated this, but it it does I, I do. emphasize the juxtaposition there. Please tell.
0: I, would uh, like to I just pulled up the Wikipedia article, which is fairly, fairly sturdy.
1: Uh, are we all
2: reading the same version?
0: Uh yeah, we are. The, it's the 2011 second edition of the English translation right. by Yisrael Markov,
1: translated by. Lisa.
0: That's the original author. It doesn't list the translation, well, the, the translator, but that's the ebook that's
1: online.
2: Yeah, it's it's the one from the initial link that we had.
1: Yeah, the, this title page is English translation by yourself, Mark. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and the has a name above it. Real, I can't. Yeah, that's remember. the original
3: author.
0: I, I don't think there's a second English translation. It's just the one translation that had a second edition, fixing typos and revising a few things.
1: Okay. Yeah. Always a good question to ask, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking about like the macro level stuff uh, more than like the characters or kind of the small scale stuff that happens in between because that stuff's really interesting. And so I think maybe we should finish off doing that. Yes. Because Della, you were asking at one point, I don't know, on or off mic. So like, what's the plot basically?
1: I was wondering, like, you told me there's like a story, but yeah. so far I've just been reading like a recontextualizing of history.
0: So here's here's what Mr. Nazgul, you know, needs uh, a paladin for. Is like, there's going to be a, you know, desperate last plan to haul an artifact to a place and destroy it in order to save the world, you see. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, Gandalf, to enlist the like full help of the elves in the war, Gave le- lent mirror. them the, the mirror, which yeah. is kind of a big deal. And he was like, it's fine. And um,
1: oh, my God. Yeah. During that meeting, they're like, so. What was it like? Saruman was like, well, what if they don't want to give the mirror back? And they're like, nope, uh, not. can I so like, what are they in the mirror for?
0: Yeah. And, and,
1: and, <laughs> and yep. Yeah. Well, you know? Saruman doesn't
0: even say anything. He just like stares and like, <laughs> oh my God, this fucking idiot. He's not. Yeah. So, anyway, the mirror it turns out is metaphysically important. It kind of like <laughs> has some dominion over time in the same way that the Palantirs have dominion over space. Mm. He's like, aren't the Palantirs just like for looking at things? And he's like, yeah, if you're not a wizard, they're just for looking at things. <laughs> But actually, what they do is they transmit sensations, not or not just like the sensation, but like the real thing. Like they're actually moving the light. They're actually moving the sound. They like move, you know, you could touch through them or whatever if you wanted to.
1: That sounds like it'd be nice for long distance relationships. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> uh, at at one point, at one point, Haladin's musing about that. He's because he's away from his fiancee. And he's like, I wonder if we could like share touches through the volunteers if we had them. <laughs> like, you know, they get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. The point is, the elves have the mirror. This is bad because when they figure out how to use it, they'll really have a lockdown on thing things, and it kind of also lets them move here more fully through Arda instead of just like a few of them. They're going to be coming in and setting up shop and making this into a recreation of their own world, and the goal wasn't just like, oh, knock down the Industrial Revolution. As far as the elves are concerned, now they've got Middle-earth, and they can cultivate it, and they're going to make sure humans stay at their low-tech level and The way the Nazgul puts it, like, history is just going to be this cyclical thing of, like, oh, who are the kings? But without any progress or, you know, just complete stagnation for humanity under the thumb of the elves.
2: Yes. And I I don't know if we made this 100% clear before, but essentially, like, the elves are the only one who can move through the magical realms. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody else is kind of stuck in... I guess you call it the mundane. It's, it's Arda, Arda, and Middle Earth, right? Arda like, and Middle like, Earth, heavens, yes. and or whatever.
1: You did mention that the elves were the only non-human, right?
2: Correct. Right. And now there are wizards, and but the Nazgul we, are wizards, right. as are like as are the like, White Gan- Council. White right. Council, yes. Um, and they can use magic. In fact, most people can, in some way, use magic. What actually makes Paladin unique is. He is distinctly unmagical. <laughs> right. And I mean, the thing is. Rude. The, but, yes, but, but, I know. <laughs>
0: but there's such this echo of the original Lord of the Rings, right? That's the thing with the hobbits, too, is like they're like kind of like yeah. unmagical, like down to earth folks. And that's why they need to be the one to do it. And that's. And also, um, the, the, the other reasoning is that Haladin is prone to making kind of imp- impulsive, uh, irrational decisions. And he's like, since our enemies are, like, rationalists, uh, they're, they're going to have, like, trouble thinking about, like, why you're doing things.
1: Yeah, that, that, so it's, like, how to beat an AI, is like, you use, introduce completely irrational choices, so it breaks exactly. their decision-making tree. But but here's the other echo, is that in The Lord of the Rings, the theme
0: is, like, the time of the elves is over, and now it's going to be the time of humans, and the elves are withdrawing. Mm-hmm. And the risk here is, like, the, the possible time of humanity is going to try to be brought to a close so that the elves can come in, and then it's going to be the time of the elves. It's like kind of a a total inverse, and because the the mirror and the the palantir are metaphysically important, and they relate to the sep- separation of the sacred fire, whatever, like the, the the division of the realms of Arda and Middle Earth. If you destroy the mirror, that'll kind of break off the connection between Arda and Middle Earth, and let humans do their thing.
1: I'm I'm going to do a little bit of research in what you're talking about. Arda is that a actual thing, or is that? Um, I I think it's a term. Uh, I'll look it up. Y'all keep talking. I think
0: he's good with his terms, but he doesn't use them in the same way as like, you know, Tolkien did. Right. Um. Anyway, so, you know, Hollidan asks the guy, the the Nazgul. It's like, okay, so, how big's the mirror? He's like, oh, it's huge. It's like, and where's the mirror? Oh, it's in Lorien. And how do we destroy it? Like, he comes up with an idea of how to destroy. it. It's like maybe we can destroy it by throwing it into the fires of Mount Doom or whatever. That's great, great idea. Like, so we need to haul a ginormous mirror out of the elves main city to the middle of Mordor and the the nazgul's like look you're the ideas guy
2: yeah <laughs> well the 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 other thing you know that's fun about this conversation is that you know it it starts when haladin's out i don't know doing something nazgul comes upon him blah 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 he's like fuck a nazgul um as we established and the guy's like i sought you out for specific reasons, believe me or not, the Nazgul is saying this, and it's like, not only is it distinctly unmagical, the conversation actually starts with like, you were this great scientist. Why yeah. are you working a as a field medical? Right. Like, what is your purpose? And he like tries to like, kind of do all of these like logic experiments with him. Mm-hmm. So there's a point at which in their conversation, Paladin sort of picks up on by, he, he starts saying like by the rules of this game is it appropriate for me to ask this inquiry so like they start having a conversation that has these like structured rules of a game which i found like very interesting it's like they're both just playing around logic puzzles <laughs> and i think that's the funniest part is like if you really think about it intellectually if he has to do this like does he have to do this or is this just like another sort of logic puzzle that needs to be completed because the Nazgul, uh, Shara, Rana, R- Rana something. Uh,
3: yeah, whatever. I can't remember
2: the name. He's a,
0: he's a mathematician. Rana Shara but... or something.
2: <laughs> yeah. So like it it almost feels like just like the puzzle is there for the sake of the puzzle. Like the Nazgul is presenting it to howden, like you have to figure these things out for yourself.
0: I, I took it as that there, were actual, that there actually were rules of some kind, like um, about what he was allowed to share or how, how much he was allowed to guide him. Something like that.
2: Perhaps, because one thing we do know is that there is, well, we assume there's divine power because they often talk about the one's will, even if a little abstractly. And we know that there is magic. But the magic seems to be confined by similar rules to the science of the world, I guess. It's a little bit odd mm-hmm. because at times they'll speak of things as like, like even Haladin, Haladin, whatever, his reasoning as being like distinctly logical or emotional. Like there's a dichotomy that's presented. So, yeah, I guess the rules of the world are a bit unclear. Also,
0: I've been saying Arda, but have I just been making that up? Because that's the name of like the, the, the two worlds of Arda. Yeah. Um, yes. It, it, sorry, that, that that's like the whole everything that exists, right? Uh, Aman, Aman is where the elves come okay, from. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I was looking it up. Arda
1: is the name of the planet. Right. And no, they, Aman, I think, is the name of the uh, the West, the, the of the continent.
0: Okay. West. So the author gets that right, except that in this conception. Amon's not right over there. It's not Valinor in the West. It's like Valinor in the other plane of existence or whatever. Um, so So are they aliens? This yeah, basically. Is this is
1: Warhammer 40k?
0: Well, no, because <laughs> because they're just created by like the gods exist too. I um, you know, it's it's metaphysics. <laughs> but but what I do like is, you know, the Nazgul puts this this thing like about how to destroy the mirror to him and like, oh by the way, you have like 90 days to do it before, you know, everything's <laughs> fucked. Um and he he does eventually like early like after that he's trying to think of a way to like move this thing, and they manage to he comes up with a way to have a more manageable quest, which is that since the pal because you can't like roll this big old mirror like you know out of out of Lorien.
1: How big is the mirror?
0: Big enough that like you have to lug it.
1: It's like in mm-hmm. the movie it was like a basin.
0: It's bigger and heavier in this. Right. Okay. Um, but, but I I like his plan where it's like he's like wait since the palantir transmit physical phenomena. All we need to do is plant a palantir set to receive near the mirror somehow. Drop another one in the volcano, and that will like transmit the actual like you know heat of the volcano oh, yeah. through the
1: palantir. That's right. You said he was a scientist, right? Right. Exactly.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs> and for some
2: reason, this
1: is science, and that's okay, right? Right. Right. You Well, the, I think they'd try it. Is that they'd have that question? Oh yeah, no, sure. certainly. But I, I, I mean, I, I do like the things where like.
0: Right, you know the discussions about the palantir was like, is that all the palantir do? And the Nazgul was like, that's all you can do
2: with a palantir. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> actually, i I've been holding on to this one for a while. Um, <laughs> there is this point where they're talking about the mirror and the palantiri, which is apparently the plural of yeah. palantir is Palantiri. Sure. Hal- Haladin says, "Wait, isn't a palantir a device for long distance communication?" Yes, it can be used for that. You can also drive <laughs> nails with one. Actually, no, that'd be inconvenient. They're round and slippery, but they'd make great fishing weights. <laughs> and the, the Nazgul point... is so sarcastic yeah. about that. It's yeah. Great. The point the Nazgul is making is that the Palantir does so much more than act as a device for communication. But, like, that's the sarcastic way of saying, like, yep, you could pretty much do anything with it except, uh, no. <laughs> you could. Doesn't mean that's what it's supposed to be doing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh and that's kind of the tongue in cheek tone of a lot of this stuff is well it's, it's not frequent it's interesting it's not it's it's
0: rarely funny but and but sometimes the author is kind of like having the authors having fun with like some of it it's like sometimes the writing's just a little bit lighthearted for a story about genocide and you know like war crimes.
2: I want to call it like a type of pastiche, but like I wanna call it like nineties fanfiction pastiche. Like, you know what I mean? Like fanfic.net pastiche, like where the author's just making a joke that they think is funny. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if the audience thinks it's funny. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. Okay. So I'm I'm looking up the author a little bit. Mm-hmm. He did a previous work in nineteen ninety-five
1: called uh the gospel of Afranias. Okay. And it's kind of what he does to this except to the gospel of Jesus. Interesting. So this is his milieu apparently. He likes
0: doing some deconstructions or like takes on some of these stories, huh?
1: So yeah, he he questions the dramatic portrayal of Jesus and stuff through uh, let's see, through Afranias, a character from something else. Yeah,
2: so apparently I think this is hmm. just how this guy thinks. Hmm. I think so. And I think that is kind of what's fun to read about this is like... Oh, man. I, no, I'm, I'm reading a bit of the description of... Go uh,
1: for uh, it. Uh, meanwhile, John the Baptist, seen as a competitor to, to Jesus, is executed. The Roman plot culminates with the Roman agents staging two fake resurrections. <laughs> First of Lazarus of Bethany, second Jesus, and succeeds at dis- spreading the rabbinical court and Deceiving the apostles to become convinced they witnessed a series of supernatural miracles, while well, in fact they saw a
3: stage event. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: All right. Okay. Sorry for the no, no.
2: But yeah, what's what's like to read about this is that <laughs> the author is clearly having fun. They are, yeah, yeah. And what's fun to them is kind of subverting. Uh, it's being like,
0: around with ideas, I would say, is what the author really certainly, likes. Mm.
2: But I also think they like uh, killing the idols. Mm. How do you say that? Like, oh, slaughter. No, th- like, specifically, not, not killing his darlings. He did not kill all of those. No, <laughs> but there is a phrase. There is a phrase to describe that they're like the way that Gandalf is portrayed and the, <laughs> the way that Eric portrayed. Right. Fucking assholes. <laughs> I think the author really does enjoy subverting the narrative in a way yeah, yeah. that's not just a subversion, but a way that like kills the heroes. You know, mm-hmm. it's like doesn't kill them in the plot, but makes them the bad, the good, bad and the bad, good. Not completely unholy because there's nuance there. Yeah, right. Murder but, uh, reput-
1: reputation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They do enjoy making out the traditional heroes. They into do enjoy making out assholes. Damn it. Actually, there's very little making out in this
0: so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's too much a war. I mean, that's very Tolkien, right? It's too much (laughs) like about the war and the big deals. Like, no one has any like free time anyway.
2: Yeah. At one point, Eowyn comes on to Faramir that I guess eventually they end up as a couple. Yeah.
0: I want to talk about Eowyn and Faramir, but if we if we want to come back to this story, mm-hmm. that would be a really good time to talk about Eowyn and Faramir because the, the second part of this story is when the character the, the main group is going to meet up with them. Uh, Faramir being in possession of a palantir and also um, being a good guy.
3: Yeah, I'm <laughs>
1: guessing there's more making out in the chapter he only published on his website where they get the palantir up and working. I- <laughs>
2: Specifically for making out. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was seeing on the Wikipedia
0: under Critical under a, a review, it's talking about a review of The Last Ringbearer in Salon by a journalist. And noting that the book has been called fanfiction, Miller comments that it is nothing like the teenage girl fantasy genre of, quote, unlikely romantic pairings, unquote, of characters from the canon. Okay, dude. <laughs> she likens it instead to Alice Randall's The Wind Done Gone, also on my list. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Wind Done Gone.
0: A retelling of Gone with the Wind, stating that *Escovs* is the better book. Anyway, still, still that, like you know zap pow comics aren't for kids anymore sort yeah. of like review of fan fiction right well,
2: yeah
1: i th- think it's interesting to point out that this was published in 99 99 yeah and uh, the movies came out in what was it 01 yeah so mm-hmm. this was before the
0: um before the resurgence of tolkien fandom fan fiction
1: and also they're kind of doing all these imagery and stuff based of, based off like the books absolutely like uh, pre movie yes. things but yeah i had i, I kind of forgot forgot that those movies haven't always existed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was absolutely picturing movie Aragorn every time, like, you know, I have to picture Aragorn.
2: Oh, I know. And that, like, to me, that was hard. (laughs) I was like, really? You're going to be dick now? But when I actually thought back to my reading of the books, I felt like this had a little bit more context because I don't. I think that, at least for me, there was as much affection for the characters in the reading of Tolkien as Mm. there was in the films. I think that's fair. Um, Strictly because I think Tolkien's writing isn't quite as concerned with you having affection for the character. Well, not not that he isn't. No, but but...
1: Tolkien's concerned you hearing another one of his... (laughs) songs. (laughs) <laughs> songs.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. You're not wrong. <laughs> you're supposed to be hearing this as a lore, legend, right, right. epic, yeah. not specifically emotionally invested in specific character arcs. I, I think that's how I read Tolkien. I don't I know. Mean, I
0: think people still came away with a lot of fondness yes. for characters like Gandalf and Aragorn. Absolutely. But not as much as when they're Ian McKellen and they're, uh, what's his name, you know, who who are like being charming at you on the screen, right?
1: I mean, You said Ian McKellen, I'm not sure else you're you talk about. Uh, oh, Christopher Lee? Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> a- 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 Aragorn guy, but yeah. Oh, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, that guy. I couldn't guess who you were referring to.
2: Well, we, we were talking just yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. He, you know, he, there's some context, right?
1: Yeah, well, I was thinking about enduring people and think about it, Christopher Lee murdered a lot of Nazis and that was cool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> now I'm just thinking about Ian McKellen making out with Christopher Lee, but that's okay. Okay, okay. now that's what I'm thinking about. I uh, wasn't yeah. in the X-Men movies or something. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. Uh I may be confusing Patrick Stewart with. Uh, yeah. Someone. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a version of uh Waiting for Godot mm-hmm. with Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. Really? Uh, yes. Oh my god. They it was on uh in the theater in London. I don't know if it was Royal Shakespeare Company or who like Uh-huh. I was dying to see it, but you had to see it if you were, like, actually in London. Oh, my God. I really hope there's a film version of it out there somewhere. But that would have been the most incredible thing in I mean, the world. I the there's recording kind of story. somewhere, but whether there... gotta be. I've been... I, I'm i waiting for waiting for Godot, so... <laughs>
1: I heard, like, there's a play that they're in, uh, Patrick Stewart in, uh, and uh, Gandalf... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ian, Ian McKellen yeah. and Gandalf. Yes, like, like, go on. They both, they both knew the place. Ian so.
2: McKellen making out with Gandalf. Sorry, go on. Like, okay.
1: Thoughts? Yes. Um, I, I can't remember. If it was like a two person play or something, but they'd flip a coin each night before opening curtain to decide who was playing which role. Oh, that's hilarious. I love it. That is the most way to
0: be those two.
1: That is like the most. London actor Okay. Okay. The only thing the better
0: flipping and, um, would be doing the same I'm thing for... for what, <laughs> no, not wait. Doing the same thing for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thank, would be even you. better. Thank you. Am I Rosencrantz or am I Guildenstern?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is so... Oh, my God. Wow. That's how I'm going to start my day. What? Flipping a coin. <laughs> my Rosencrantz or... My <laughs> <Gildenstern>? <laughs> ah. Moving
1: on. So to finish my point, this was made before the movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: that's a good
0: that's a good note because I had not thought of that. I I would have said it was like, you know, around the same time as the movies. But yes, give or take a few years before them. Two years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two years. All right. <laughs> um, I say we wrap up our discussion here. Yes. Perhaps mm-hmm. we'll come back to it. But it, for the first book of this or whatever you've read or understood of the first book of it in the case of Della, What's your main complaint about the last ring bearer?
1: Yeah, I, I think just like the language being kind of hard to um, parse and understand. Like um, it's one of those things where like, you know, the author had a firm idea of what, what it is. And sometimes it's a little bit hard to uh, translate what, what they're thinking to a page. So just that's mostly my problem. when I try to write stuff because mm. <laughs> like, mostly I just like think at the paper and then that doesn't work. But yeah, just trying to get into the, the mindset of of the writing, I guess.
0: I found the writing a little hard, too. And I think, like, I, I understand it might have had a purpose, but I still feel like the character voices were not as distinctive as I wanted them to be in terms of how they said things. What they say, perfectly distinctive. How they said things all kind of blurs together. And, um, but other than that, I thought the writing was pretty, pretty solid, actually.
1: You know what? This would make a pretty good, like, graphic novel, I think. I think you're right. A lot of the parts that are missing, you could see uh, visually, and well, it'd kind of be like that—that that, uh, intense uh, Flintstones graphic novel.
0: No, no. <laughs> I haven't read it. Is it fan fiction or is it official?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's technically official, but okay. The guy couldn't believe that they published it because they did like a whole story about like Fred and Barney being in a war, and like they're—they said it was like defensive, but they were actually like wiping out a population. Wow. They they went through a whole thing that
0: rarely happened in the original cartoon.
1: <laughs> that, that, we, can, we can talk about that later, but it's a, it, it was it's surprising. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you care about it, Amato, since it's not fan fiction. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. I was just being polite, asking a question. <laughs> well, <laughs> I see. I, <laughs> Speaking of,
0: do you have any other complaints, story,
3: or like things that you think could be improved?
2: So, like.
3: This is kind of hard to complain
2: about because, especially towards the end of part one, mm-hmm. the punctuation broke down. The grammar. There's some tense, between,
0: some tense issues. Yeah.
2: Not yes. There's a couple tense issues switching between past and present. Um, but also like a quote in which you know quotation marks are put around something then a separate thing with parentheses after. And I think we're supposed to assume that's the character's thought, but we were never given an inclination that we should be in that character's head or maybe it was supposed to be part of the
0: quote. There was a section where it was all in italics for a while.
2: Indeed. Uh, It really breaks down in like punctuation, grammar issues. Um, There's one line where something says, everything around him swam in rainbow areolas. Mm. Um, uh, sorry go on yeah and, and here's the thing this is a translation so it might be hard to blame that on the author right like yeah. I just don't know who's responsible for some of these errors so like is it an error or is that like intentional as the author yeah, yeah. I see that'd be hard to well the, the the punctuation issues are certainly um actually they kind of ramp up weirdly enough through part 1 which makes me think that is either it might have been more heavily edited earlier on right it's either the translator not having their own editor mm-hmm. or the original author I don't know it's hard to tell but I'm not going to pick on it too much because it's hard to blame that for. I think the the only other thing might be another thing that might be a little hard to blame the author for as well is the language is a little bit wonky. Like sometimes the those little jokes are just like out of left field and they make me laugh, but they also take me a little bit out of the story because it's like, I don't really believe someone in middle earth is talking like this. Right. <laughs> you know, speaking
0: of, uh, taking you out of the story, Della did mention that we have a first chapter introducing our characters. Then we have like eight chapters of like military history. Well, yes. One of the, one of the reviewers quoted on Wikipedia describes that as a classically Russian habit or something Oh, oh of yeah. like yeah. of, of, have of like inserting military history into like the, the story. But it's like, I feel like that could have been of, of, of adding sections of political or military history to the narrative. I feel like that could have been streamlined a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the Witch-King fight, the battle the battle of what is called Pelennor Fields. Is that the one outside of Rohan? I think um, so, Yeah, mm-hmm. they mentioned that. Yes. We didn't really need to know how that shook out, frankly. It's like, look, you are absolutely not supposed to read this without having read Lord of the Rings in the first place. No yeah. way. And so just like, I know that like the West won Pelennor Fields, the undead came in. If you just like relate that to me, There's even a part later on where, like, Aragorn's talking to, like, his bodyguards, which are, like, some of the surviving undead that are, like, you know, serving him. Um, Like, I would have been like, oh, crazy. It's some of the, like, the dead from, like, Pelennor Fields or whatever. Like, I didn't actually need to see it shake out. And so I feel like if you streamline some of that earlier on, you might have been able to get a bit more momentum in that key part early in the
2: story. Mm. I agree. I think that just to streamline my previous thought process based on what you said, I think where this falls down is not quite understanding what does and doesn't need to be said. Mm-hmm. That seems fair because, like, they go
1: into detail about Rohan and stuff. Like, they could have just mentioned, "Oh yeah, Uh, Gwima was a brilliant uh, diplomatic person." Like, kind of move on from there.
0: But I understand the temptation because it's so cool. This discussion of like <laughs> the internal polemic... Uh, the the internal. Politics relating to Eomir mm-hmm. and like how like you know diplomatically this was like going with like Saruman, but like I understand why the author was so in love with these ideas that like yeah. he wanted to get them all down and share them. But yeah, like you said, like what you said, it's like, does do we need to know
1: it though? Like, is yeah. that then again, like the format of it being fan fiction, this is uh, by definition a passion project. If you're not
0: going to indulge yourself, what's yeah. the point, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> It's it's true, and I think that's probably a good transition into our phrase. favorite things. Yeah, Why? because for me, I think the passion is obvious. Um, I think the author had a lot of fun writing this.
1: Yeah, and I I really appreciate one of the great strengths of fan fiction is um, bringing depth just something that's shallow and there's yeah. nothing more shallow than like the orcs or the, the rings
3: yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah the the description like one thing he shares
0: in common with tolkien is like this interest in geography i feel like has like no but it's not it's not that actually no tolkien doesn't have the same kind of interest no this, this author's interest is all in like how things relate to people and so, like, how does the environment of Mordor, what does that say about its people? How did that shape its people? How did its people shape it? Yeah. That's what this author likes.
1: Uh, yeah, and so... That's adding their own personal interest to something right. to add to the story. It's early, early on, they talk about how, like, like there's cyclical nature uh, cycles of um, climate and stuff. Where right. There's, there's places that are, that are forests, and then they become deserts, and then it translates back. But that's on a, you know, geologic uh, scale. And civilizations have to adapt in their yeah. own way. And that leads to the uh, ir- irrigation discussion of more. Right.
0: and like the irrigation discussion goes on to describe how like a failed irrigation project ruined a lot of their farmland. Yeah, and that therefore they had to be more reliant on trade, which was okay because they're a major like technological power who has stuff to trade.
1: And they, 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 the allies that had that, but then it meant they had a huge um, weakness that could be exploited uh, in in a military conflict.
0: It's interesting because I feel like. It's easy to find writers who are very interested in people on an individual scale. Mm-hmm. And you don't always find writers who are interested in people on a more societal scale. Mm-hmm. And this author's very interested in like thinking about kind of the societies. Like he describes how the like the various the three like the, the tribes of like, you know, Orkin and Trolls and like mm-hmm. other humans in Mordor, kind of like how they ended up creating this kind of like mixed society and like. Um, you know the relations with the civilizations around them.
1: Yeah, and like like there's still the uh the orcish, or orc is it? Can I say orcish in this? We can.
0: I, I think we can. They don't seem to mind too much. It's okay. more like a you know shortening.
1: Yeah, the the, the orcish tradition of being nomads. Or like there's even still a thing in orcish culture where the only like true orcish thing to do would be like go out and like raise cattle, <laughs> and that, that that some still look down on the on the city dwellers. But like, yeah, like the city people are, are highly successful in this book and. Right, There's a lot of it on the science and the universities and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: It's super cool. I I don't know. Yeah, just both the details and the interest in the details. And I think the amount of detail we get on those things is just enough, actually, because like he does paint a picture of a civilization, mm-hmm. and then moves on with the story and doesn't get like too bogged down into. But what about Orcish music? Which, frankly, Tolkien. Might have, like.
2: <laughs> I actually do want to know about Orcish music, but that's okay.
1: Well, it'd be like um, it's like a giant university town, right? So, <laughs> right,
2: yeah. Borders, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently, yeah.
1: Something like alternative rock or something, or like
2: indie. Yeah, that's indie. exactly indie. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, th- th- no one says that anymore. I was an indie kid, but <laughs> apparently those don't exist.
1: Well, it'd be anymore. split between like indie and classical maybe like a, like a classical rock re-emergence. Re-emer- I don't know what to talk about. Uh, finish this model. Uh. <laughs> All
0: right. Do, do we have any other praises or anything? I think we kind of skipped over you, Tori, right?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I I was busy looking for specific. I remembered specifically in chapter 14, uh, many chapters have really good bits of prose. It's actually kind of odd. because yeah, they do. You know, I, I played a little bit about some of the like, silly quippy stuff but like some descriptions are just really gorgeous yeah. and i think especially chapter 14 they're talking about the desert and i love it um talking about uh on the sixth day the first sandstorm of sandstorm of the season struck the yellow wall approached from the south gradually extending upwards it seemed that the desert horizon was rolling up like the ragged edge of a monstrous scroll the sky turned ashen And one could look at the bleached white noon sun without squinting as if it were the moon. Then the boundary between earth and sky disappeared altogether as if two enormous hot frying pans came together, raising myriads of grains of sand to the air between them. Their mad dance lasted for more than three days. So, like, that's one good description. There's some really good descriptions. There are. I guess I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It made me think sometimes like, dang. I've translated stuff, but like, no, I haven't translated like a real ass novel like this. What a f- project! Yeah, it's crazy.
1: You kind of wonder as a translator, do you get get like a piece of that. How how do you work that? Do you? Yeah, it's like some some of these imagery doesn't translate <laughs> as poetically.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it rolling up like a scroll is like it's a very interesting image, and it's not hmm. one that I feel like m- would be likely to happen in a native English work.
3: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like they use multiple images, the frying pans and like several things that are similar, and the sun looking like the moon, like all of that. But I think it all does work together. It's not overdone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And another, just to add one more, a different sort of description is when they use a little bit more of a simile of, you know, um, only a man who has spent weeks in the desert drinking nothing but bitty, bitter, salty water at the bottom of a cattle watering holes and meager drops of tasteless, some Tolkien word, it, <laughs> can appreciate what it means to immerse one's face into living, running water. It can only be compared to the first touch of a lover after a very long separation. No wonder that the imagination of desert dwellers has not some pompous crystal palace of delights at the center of its paradise, but rather a small lake under a waterfall. Very cool. Yeah. Wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> very pretty, right? And very evocative. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, I, I, some good press. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel evoked. <laughs>
0: All right. I guess that's our basic thumbs up for what we've read so far. And maybe we'll come back to it at some point, depending on our will. Part two. We hate it.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see. But I guess we'll wrap up for now. This was episode 166 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. The Last Ring Bearer by... Didn't have it there. Hold up. Kirill uh, Yeskov or something along those lines. I was close. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I was close, but we're just going to roll with it. You can easily find the official English translation online with a Google search. There were two editions, but the second edition of the translation was uh, put out in 2011. Um, we can also provide a link on the show notes. The intro song to the podcast is the weekly fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. And the outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. But since those, those musics have you know, no words that speak of ancient legend, uh, Tolkien would not approve. They're not like, you know, hmm. not poetry.
2: I'm not sure Tolkien would approve of the spanfic either, to be honest. <laughs> So. I, I feel like Tolkien might have been a little annoyed.
1: Now I'm imagining
2: dubstep Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> like dubstep Tolkien or like dubstep Tolkien works? Like, uh, like Tolkien uh, composing
1: dubstep. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I was thinking of Tolkien <laughs> dancing at dubstep. So. That too. <laughs> Great minds. <laughs> Our podcast
0: is edited by Della Rose. Your vacation is over. It's back to work for you. We can do the, like, the Crack the Whip song from the movie version, the animated... there is a whip. There we go. That's
2: there it. is a way. We don't want to go to war today. That's the best, the best song, part right? of the movie. Yeah, I know. You're like, we're not supposed to be on these orcs' side. I mean, like... I mean, rock opera version of that. When, you know. <laughs> oh my God, this entire fanfic was inspired by that song. <laughs> <laughs> I that. It's
0: really not, though, because no, you know, know the Mordorians had good morale. They were protecting their civilization. Very little
2: whips. <laughs> but like the empathy for orcs, it, it's I mean, loose. Very
0: little like, negative. No whips, no way. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or mm-hmm. bit.ly retrofanfic. And if you've got questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, best you contact us by email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com which I should probably start checking again.
1: Well, I, yeah, I get notifications when we get stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, email, I'll see it. I also a motto to, to t- talk back because I don't talk to
0: well, I've been on hiatus too, you know. You could also leave comments or reviews on whatever you use to listen to a podcast, probably some manner of computer or phone. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Della. We're just three Middle Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take
1: care. Do you not know how to listen to a podcast <laughs>
0: on a phone or a computer?
1: <laughs> you sound unsure, though. Are <laughs> <laughs> other
0: devices. You go podcasts. down to the podcast store and you buy a podcast.
1: You make a podcast. What do you mean? The you do? Do store worked. <laughs>
0: We will. We, yeah, we, we got far I enough to figure out actually st- what what too. the story is and what the structure is. Yes, which is not clear at the beginning. No, <laughs> at all. I agree. No, no.
2: <laughs> no. Yeah, and I'm gonna be upfront and say that I was like a little bit tired when I was reading like the first ten chapters. I didn't take any notes <laughs> for those. I started taking notes around chapter fifteen, and you're gonna bomb my quiz, story. Yeah, I mean, I might not remember exactly. What in the beginning, <laughs> but okay. I've got the thread of the story now, and I know who the characters are. Um, Could we consider these episodes quizzes on what we've read? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's not completely it's not wrong. We do get tested on our knowledge of the story, but, but
0: it's a group quiz because okay. oftentimes we're correcting each other about what happened,
1: and it's open
2: book. Right? Exactly, and open it's open book, book, open notes, open book, yeah. open notes, group project. Yeah, that's basically what we do. But like, if you think about it, what is what is a book club? Is it a place where people get together to talk about books, or is it a place where housewives get together to drink wine?
1: It seems like mostly the latter, unless you're neurodivergent geeks.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we're, I'm just saying, where's the wine?
1: Speaking of distracted, we're about 15 minutes and we haven't started the episode yet. Yes, shall we?
2: Uh, If we have to.
1: I forgot how to.
2: What's, All right, I remember. What's my character in this? <laughs> uh, <shit stirrer. laughs> uh No, it, I want to say comic relief, but that's not quite right because it's not like the comic relief where you laugh at them falling down. It's the person who makes the quips, and you're like that person. I, I think
1: Amato might have it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's fair. Okay. All right, let's go. Uh, Mark,
3: welcome to Retro Fanfic. Retro-